today we will be exploring innovations in ocular surface disease. Of course, this includes a myriad of conditions, but the most common we're going to focus on today are dry eye disease, blepharitis, and meibovian gland disease, which of course we're seeing the majority of innovation in. Um, today we'll be exploring the diagnostics, therapeutics, and procedures that are either new or on the horizon. My distinguished guests today are Dr. Laura Perriman, AKA the Dry Eye Master, Director of Dry Eye Services and Clinical Research at Perriman Eye Institute, right here in Seattle where we're filming the podcast today. <laughs> and we also have Dr. Lisa Nijem. Dr. Lisa Nijem is a corneal cataract and LASIK specialist at Warrenville Eye Care in Illinois. She's also an attorney and Chief Medical Editor of OSD-CME. Both Dr. Perriman and Dr. Nijem are very passionate about ocular surface disease and have a lot of updates to share with us um, and the listeners about new treatments on the way, some even hot off the presses this week. Welcome to the OAS podcast. Thank you so much for having us here. This has been such an exciting podcast. I love hearing you as a host. So many innovations and great discussions that you've been having. So it's an honor to be here. I'm thrilled to be here. I love the work that you're doing on this. And it's just really exciting to share these this section of innovations with you and your audience. It's amazing to have you both here today. So we're sitting here just two days after the FDA approval of XDEMV. Just what an amazing um, opportunity for patients who have never had a treatment for demodex blepharitis from Tarsus Pharmaceuticals. So a really exciting week. So both of you have been involved in the clinical trials of Extemvi. Dr. Perriman, you were a, a principal investigator yes. um, on the Extemvi trial. And Dr. Nijam, you have been involved in the post-market studies. So just two ideal people to talk to us today about this innovation. So would love to hear about both of your experiences with that drug today. Great. I'd be happy to start with that one. So, you know, in the course of doing clinical research, you learn how to observe better closer and look for specific things. So in the course of the study, of course, we're masked, investigator masked and placebo controlled, but it was pretty obvious within a week or two who got active. Impressive improvements in lid margin redness, lid thickening, conjunctival redness, the mite load, and in many cases, a cholerate and mite cure. And it was extremely well tolerated. That's the part that's so exciting. Just twice a day for six weeks, very well tolerated. A small percentage of patients reported some blur and some sting, but none of them uh, dropped out because of those things. So the dropout rate was very low, it was extremely well tolerated, and we were very impressed with the clinical results that we saw. Dr. Nisham, how about you? Yeah, I think this is, it was really exciting to have this approved early, and I think yeah. the data really speaks for itself. What we've seen is that you know, these patients who have demodex blepharitis, and you've seen them all in clinic, when you have them look down, and this is something that I learned in working with Tarsus, and you look carefully at that eyelash uh, margin, you're not gonna miss it. You're gonna see those sleeves uh, that are indicative of demodex. And when you see so many of them, you wanna do something to help the patients. So in the past, our options were limited. We had you know, some tea tree oil, which tends to sting and burn pretty bad, or you know, some of the other formulations that would improve it, but nothing that really rid it. And so that's something that was so impressive with this product is that you would see clearing of the demodex. 
And what I was involved in looking at the data from the long-term study is that at one year, 60, um, over 63% still had clearance of their Demodex. So it's, a, it's pretty powerful and it's clear to me why they got early FDA approval. I think there's a greater post-market, post-approval opportunity than we realize as clinicians taking care of these blepharitis MGD patients. Some patients are so good with their lid hygiene that you may not see those collarettes. Uh, we do take the time to epilate and look under the microscope. Um, but as part of the study as the lead-in, they had to stop their lid scrubs for two weeks and things get pretty crusty pretty quick. <laughs> so I was amazed at how rapidly it accumulates in these patients. And that was the baseline for colors. They were not allowed to do scrubs during the study. And we still saw these dramatic improvements in the colorette load. So if you have that MGD blepharitis patient, still maintain a high index of suspicion for Demodex and give them the option of this course of therapy that was so well tolerated. A quick clinical pearl I'd love to share is if you, I call this the Alpenglow sign. If you have somebody that you're suspicious has Demodex, uh, turn your slit lamp at 45 degrees with the diffuser light on and pan slowly across the bridge of the nose. When that light hits the edge, you'll see the fine vellus hairs of the face, but the coarser ones are actually dermal colorettes. And I'll pull those and look and oftentimes teeming with Demodex. Wow. Yeah. The visual. <laughs> the visual. So that brings me just naturally into my next question, and that's to talk about patient motivation for treatment. Um, it's high. The <laughs> campaign, the disease education campaign that Torsus put out last year, Don't Freak Out, um, was based purely on that their learnings and market research and to the trial of the patient's response mm -hmm. when, as a clinician, you talk to them about what demodex blepharitis is. So talk to me a little bit about that and the patient reaction and corresponding motivation for treatment. Well, I think there's a lot of room to grow as clinicians learn how to um, wield this powerful arrow from their toolkit, right? So it's all about the delivery of how you deliver the message. And we approach it just very matter-of-factly. It's like they, some people are just have a high might load a high concentration, or some people's immune systems react very strongly to the presence of them. There's no shame in this, but we can do something to address it. And the patient doesn't freak out. They're like, great, what are we going to do? I'm like, I'm going to add you to my list. <laughs> now that we have a list of over 100 patients that have been waiting for this drop, and now we're going to start calling them back in as soon as it's available. I do think it's a fine line between educating the patient on their condition and not having the patient freak out or not having the patient uh, you know, react negatively to this. But I think most patients when you, you know, for me, I tend to err on the side of explaining that, you know, everybody has some level of these um, mites on their face. You just tend to have more. And we would like to see less of that, uh, especially if we're gonna do surgery, cataract mm -hmm. surgery or any type of refractive surgery. So I, I think, uh, you know, conversely, uh, I have patients that wax and wane on how well they do their lid hygiene. Uh, and I think lid hygiene is still important, yes. even with using this medication. Uh, but it's great to have something that you can give patients a set time to use, you know, six weeks, uh, and you're going to have this, uh, you know, rid your, your eyes of this excess mite infestation. Very good. That makes perfect sense. Um, love to hear you talk about just evolving um, the 
uh, suaveness, if you will, <laughs> of our, of the our delivery, delivery <laughs> and, the conversation. Uh, yes. and the patient conversation. That's great. That's great. Um, so since there's so much overlap between demodex blepharitis and dry eye disease, mm -hmm. and of course a lot of dry eye patients out there that haven't quite gotten the uh, relief maybe they were looking for from other treatments out there, do you see yourself trying XDEMV with these dry eye patients? Absolutely. So here's something really interesting we've found that the quality of the mybum, when you look at it biochemically on, by HPLC analysis, the waxes, the sterols, the general composition, in the presence of MGD uh, without Demodex, it's not super different from normal mybum, but as soon as Demodex is present, there's this massive shift in the HPLC graph of the different compositions. And it makes sense because during the trial, we just happened to notice that people's mybum quality improved dramatically. So I think we're going to see these other benefits from getting the mite load under control. Yeah, I think that that's an excellent point. And I think, you know, the other thing that we have to keep in mind is that there is Anytime you upset that homeostatic balance that's on the ocular surface, you're going to get side effects or you get other uh, patient symptoms that occur. And so if you see that there's an excessive mite there's excessive demodex, that's going to have consequences that come along the way. Uh, and it makes sense that that will also have consequences and cause patients to have symptoms of dry eye. So I think as we learn more and as we see more in clinical practice, how this is best used for patients and what types of patients respond best, uh, then I think we'll find more ways along with a lot of the other new treatments that are coming out uh, for uh, dry eye and ocular surface disease. I think we'll find a much wider application uh, in our clinical practices than we realize at present because just a simple prevalence multicenter study we found Colorettes are present in 50 to 60% of patients presenting with dry eye complaints. And that's just the ones with colorettes. Again, that if you're good about your hygiene, you may not see the evidence of the organisms. So I think we'll find significant uh, application and it's very well tolerated. Well, time will tell if this is the, the blockbuster in, in ophthalmics <laughs> that we've been waiting for for, for a pretty long time. Uh, so now let's switch gears over to meibomian gland disease. And we've yes. had another recent approval in that space, uh, MIBO from BNL. So uh, what can you share with us about that innovation? I think that's something that's been really exciting for me to see because I, I like new things that are unlike uh, other products we have on the market that can add to the repertoire that we're able to offer patients. And so MIBO is really unique in that, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, Laura, you're going to have to help me. Sure. Perfluorohexaloctane. Yes, say that fast three times. <laughs> 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 <Okay>. <laughs> but, so instead of that, you can just say MIBO. Um, essentially, I like chemistry. <laughs> it, it also got yes, it also got uh, early FDA approval, uh, and it is the first one that's targeted towards evaporative dry eye disease. Mm -hmm. And also, really interesting about that is that the entire there's no fillers, there's no water, there's no yep. preservatives. Yep. The entire drop is the perfluorohexaloctane. Yeah, you're almost there. <laughs> I'm really close. Yeah, by, the, really close. by the end of the podcast, I'll have it down. <laughs> I'm just going to say MIBO. <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, they did the um, 
the studies, um, Gobi and Mojave, uh, they showed they met their primary and secondary endpoints. Uh, they showed early results as of 15 days. Um, the primary endpoints were uh, around 60 days on two months. Uh, but it's, uh, it's pretty neat. I think it's something that is going to offer our dry eye patients who have uh, more of an evaporative component a whole new way to approach their dry eye. Awesome. I love that. And yes, I think there's wide applicability for this one. Speaking of well-tolerated, this is another super well-tolerated uh, drop in the clinical trials. A little bit of blur, but no stinging, right? So very comfortable drop and no bad taste in the back of the throat important for some people. Um, so those are important considerations, how well tolerated it is. I suspect this will become a rapid go-to for patients that do have an evaporative component. So stabilize that tear film, reduce the desiccating stress on the ocular surface that's driving all that inflammation, correct the underlying issues, whether it's rosacea, demodex, uh, just regular old MGD, whatever this is, and allow that ocular surface to protect the cornea the way it's supposed to. Yeah. When you watch this drop go onto the surface of the eye, it reminds me very much of the Rain-X effect on the windshield of your car. We have to use a lot of that in Seattle because there's a lot of rain. <laughs> but you, you'll notice that as soon as that goes on there and how the water layer can spread evenly and the optical quality improves, patients ad hoc just said, hey, you know what, doc? My vision's better. These were trial participants. So there's, um, and that makes sense if you have a stable, air to your interface, because the little fluoridated part sticks out and goes to the air and the uh, hexoctane part interacts with the lipid layer um, to stabilize the tear film, create even spread, reduce friction. Um, yeah, I'm just seeing exciting things with it. That's, uh, and it, that totally fits with the results from the clinical trials, yeah. uh, because one of the, the primary endpoints um, were total corneal uh, fluorescein staining and then decrease in the VAS score. But then the secondary endpoints showed improvement in central corneal staining, which we know, uh, you know, clinically, that, that when you get that improvement in central mm -hmm. corneal staining, you're gonna see that improvement in vision too. And that's pretty meaningful for our patients to not only you know, see that they have, their symptoms are better, but that also that they're actually seeing better. Love it. Summer of 2023 is going to be the summer of OSD advancements. Yes, it right. is. Very Dry eye advancements. It's good summer. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's pivot over into um, good old dry eye disease. What's going on in that space? What innovations um, are you seeing on the horizon that you think are going to make a difference for patients? Right. So I'll take that one. Dry disease is a catch bag and probably a misnomer, right? And there's, there's more going on there than we realize. So I think as we have these targeted, specific, directed tools in our toolkit with MIBO and Extemvi, we will find um, that it's a little easier to manage, that that end stage consequence of inflammation, driving more inflammation, is easier to manage with our other tools. Uh, but as, with respect to innovations, I think we will see some exciting things coming out late this year uh, with Aldira Pharmaceuticals. They have a reproxilap, which is an aldehyde sink. What is that? So at the very, very far upstream of inflammation, there's reactive aldehyde species that are liberated. This is like a rapid uh, chemical reaction. And this reproxilap soaks up those aldehyde species like a hazmat and prevents downstream triggering of other inflammatory cascade processes. The cool thing about that 
is that we saw improvements in conjunctival redness, which patients are often very self-conscious about, right? I'm tired of being asked, have I been crying? <laughs> Am I tired? Because my eyes are red so much. And really, they just need more tools and more innovation to deal with those specific issues. Uh, I think we've got several exciting things that are in the pipeline and things that are coming over. I uh, recently attended the Society of European Ophthalmology meeting uh, where I was talking about dry eye mimickers and using mm -hmm. osmolarity to help uh, the, the average clinician distinguish when you're talking about dry eye disease versus other things like allergic conjunctivitis or even uh, you know recurrent erosion or um, you know, more sinister things uh, like thyroid eye disease that can be presenting as dry eye. And so I think our understanding of diagnosing and then available treatments is continuing to evolve mm -hmm. and improve overall in the field. Mm -hmm. uh, things that I saw over there that were interesting to me are some of the, uh, the dry eye masks that the, really the meibomian gland masks that are being promoted for uh, patients. There's some that vibrate, there's some that plug in the wall. Uh, there are a lot of the, um, the chemical substances um, also involved in Azura's uh, trials um, for AZR um, MD1 that has uh, diselenium, or selenium disulfide uh, to break up uh, the, um, the mybum and get normal flow again through the glands. And so I think there's, there are many things in this field that we just see constantly as we continue to increase our understanding that are going to help our patients and help our clinicians. And I think it's a great thing to have all of this innovation in ocular surface and dry eye uh, because we do have so many millions of sufferers and one size does not fit all. And so we have a great toolkit now that is here and that is coming. It's gonna be able to help us better care for these patients. I love that highlight on the structural compromise of mybum, right? And this cross-linking and sludging that happens and this chemical bond and being able to break that apart, being able to shake it like uh, liquefaction. Um, that's, that's an issue in Seattle. There's, you know, earthquake central, but <laughs> we get that issue as well. If you shake something at a certain frequency, the soil will liquefy, similar to the mybomian glands. Um, but also I want to point out that neural stimulation is still hot and strong. That's uh, whether it's chemical intranasal neural stimulation for tear production, mechanical extranasal, or directly stimulating the receptors on the cornea. Um, Alcon is developing TRPM8 agonist to directly stimulate tear production on the ocular surface, has a cooling effect, has a uh, significant symptom relieving effect in the phase two studies. It's now in phase three. What a fantastic overview of kind of everything that's on the horizon. So thank you for that. My final question for you today, we're almost out of time. I'm starting to see more and more practices really introduce an aesthetic component. There are so many aesthetic issues um, that patients bring up themselves directly related to demodex blepharitis and dry eye disease with the itchy redness and flakiness, unable to wear eye makeup. So are you starting to see that um, in your areas in terms of practices sort of overlapping aesthetics and, and ocular surface disease treatment? Absolutely, I'll, I'll take that question. I think uh, ophthalmology is getting started, got started with aesthetics when Rolanda Toyos noticed that his patients that were going to have IPL to treat their rosacea self-reported Doc, my dry eye is better. Gee, your MGD is better as well. And so now we have an FDA-approved uh, device, uh, Optilite or OPT, that is indicated 
in addition to all those other things that it does dermatologically, aesthetically, also has the indication for dry disease associated with MGD. So I think that was our toe in to the water of aesthetics, but I've really embraced this idea, this idea of using dermatology, aesthetics, and ophthalmology to create that healthy, beautiful eye and borrow from all those diff disciplines. I think we're gonna see more and more of it. Radio frequency, deep muscle stimulation, judicious and careful placement of Botox. Um, all of these things can um, help the dry patient look better, see better, feel better. I'll take a slightly different take on this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think all those things are really important. I think it makes a lot of practical sense uh, when you're talking about innovation, also innovation from a business standpoint, uh -huh. um, with many practices uh, who've experienced hardship through the pandemic, looking at different ways to balance their cash flow in the practice. And uh, there are, as Laura mentioned, many, uh, many areas that are natural uh, evolution for patients who are seeking refractive surgery, who are seeking you know, to improve the appearance of their eyes overall. I think one area that is that it's great to see so much uh, movement in this direction is also the preservative-free uh, drops mm -hmm. and preservative-free, you know, we have more choices now with IUSA that just uh, recently got approved from TEA for preservative-free glaucoma drops. Uh, there are uh, several preservative-free um, artificial tiers now that are available on the market from yes. sustained preservative-free complete to, um, you know, Optase to uh, Ivisia. There's There are a lot of things that I think are moving in this direction that will ultimately be much better for our patients with ocular surface disease uh, and provide them that better appearance that they're looking for with their eye but still do the important things like treating their ocular surface disease and glaucoma. Love it. What a hopeful outlook for yes. um, all of these millions and millions of ocular surface disease patients out there. So um, thank you all so much for so freely sharing your knowledge and your time with us today. I'm sure the listeners are way more up to date now on uh, therapeutics and other, uh, other advancements on the horizon. So. Thank you for joining us on the OAS podcast. Delighted. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us.